Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Romans, chapter 11. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Your life should be attractive to the non-believer. They should look at your life and say, wow, there's something different about you. How is it that you are enjoying your life? You know, God, the Bible says Jesus came to give life. Are y'all listening? Jesus came to give life and what? That more abundantly. God came to give you life. Christians should be the one who are really living life. You know, that's why it's important how you represent Jesus. Listen, how you represent Jesus is so important. You know what? I try to keep a smile on my face. I don't care what's going on. Y'all have no idea what I've been through in 12 years in this church, and you'll never know. Because you know what? My hope is in the Lord. I keep looking up and keep a smile on my face because I realize people are watching me as I go through life. The world is watching me and the joy of the Lord is my strength. I completely believe that Christians should be some of the funnest. Is that a word? (laughs) People on the earth. Christians should be the ones having fun. Somebody say amen. Amen. I had somebody say to me, I didn't know, they came last night, first time, they said, I didn't know Christians could, like, enjoy themselves. I was like, duh. Well, I didn't know Christians, they could have a party, and I'm like, look, Christians know how to have a party the right way. Because we don't, we don't, we're not getting drunk and doing drugs and all of these kinds of things. We don't wake up in the morning with a hangover. Oh, y'all in church, I forgot. Okay, I, my bad, I'm sorry. Oh, we don't know. No, Christians. We... <laughs> but that's the B.C. days. I call that before Christ. Oh, fine. Okay, fine. But we had a wonderful time. In the Lord, and the world needs to see your life and be provoked to know how is it that you do it then you have an opportunity to give glory to God, to say, listen, it's not me, it's Christ in me, the hope of glory that gives me the ability to do what I do and to keep my head up and not let the world's pressure hold me down. Don't you get it? That's why you need to keep a smile on your face. Some Christians, they look like they've been baptized in pickle juice. (laughs) Isn't that true? Pastor, is that true? <laughs> okay, fine. It's very true, and it's like they look so negative. Christians should be positive, not negative. 
And let God use your life to draw other people in. That's exactly what God did with the Gentiles. He saved the Gentiles to cause the Jew to be jealous. Paul says God is using the Gentiles to provoke the Jew to jealousy. And then in verse 14, go ahead and look at it in your Bibles. Paul says, that's my ministry. I have the ministry of jealousy. That's interesting. Paul says, I'm hoping that my people will see the blessings of the Gentiles and they will want to have what they have. So the question, is God through with the Jew? We've been answering that. Of course not. And the reason that we know that God is not through with the Jew, because right here in these verses, saints, listen, Paul is talking about a future plan for Israel. If God were through with the Jew, he wouldn't spend time making them jealous. This is not hard. So the Gentiles have been saved through the fall and the failure of the Jew. And when Israel failed... By rejecting Jesus as their Messiah, get this, they forfeited some incredible blessings and riches. You know, I think of Jesus as he stood on the Mount of Olives and he was overlooking Jerusalem. You know the story. And Jesus began to weep and prophesy. And it was there in Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 44, as Jesus prophesied over Jerusalem and from a sad and broken heart. Jesus said, if you had known, even you, especially in this day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side. And they're going to level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you, saints, get this, one stone upon another Why, somebody read it with me, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Here, listen, get the scene. Jesus stood on the mountain and he's overlooking the city of Jerusalem. You go with us in 2008, you'll see it's gorgeous. It's amazing view. And as he stood on that mountain, he began to prophesy in the spirit. Jesus could see the future. And Jesus could see just, I don't know, 30 plus years later, A.D. 70, as the Roman general Titus comes marching through Jerusalem and he's setting the temple on fire. And Jesus could see the Roman soldiers taking every stone down because if you've been with us on Wednesday night, you know that the temple was filled with gold. And when Titus set the temple on fire, all of the gold melted within the temple and it began to melt between the cracks of the stones. And just like Jesus said, Roman, the Roman soldiers and Titus came in and they took down the temple. This was the last sighting of the temple. Now they're waiting for a third one. Those soldiers took the, took the temple down one stone after another to scrape the gold to take it, and to make Rome wealthy. Very interesting, just like Jesus said. And many were killed. And Jerusalem was leveled in AD 70, all because, listen, of their rejection and their unbelief. And it was that day in AD 70, not only did Israel lose the temple, 
but they lost many, many other riches. Like what, Rodney? Of course, the temple. And then they lost their families, they lost land, and they lost eternal life because they rejected Jesus as Messiah. So now, because they have rejected Jesus as Messiah, God has opened the door to salvation to the Gentiles. And now the Bible says, whosoever will, let them call upon the name of the Lord. And so Paul says, listen, if the nations of the world have received the blessings, are y'all listening? Have received the blessings, they've received the gospel of Jesus through the turning away of the Jew. Just imagine what the benefits of the world will be in that day that Israel is restored. And the promises of God are fulfilled and the Messiah comes. Well, look at verse 15 in your Bibles. If they're being cast away, go ahead and look at verse 15. If they're being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? That's talking about, listen, the resurrection. Life from the dead should automatically, listen, remind you of Ezekiel chapter 37. In Ezekiel chapter 37, we have the vision of, of the dry bones. The vision of the dry bones is a reference to the nation of Israel. Ezekiel says, I was walking in the valley and I heard God say, he said, these dry bones shall live. And Ezekiel began to argue back and forth with God. And finally he says, okay, God, whatever you say, you know. And God told Ezekiel to prophesy to those bones. And then God said, I will breathe and they shall live. God said, I'm going to put ligaments on those bones. Are you listening? I'm going to put flesh on those bones. And I'm going to put skin on those bones. And then I'm going to breathe my spirit into those bones and they shall live. Life from the dead. God says, I'm going to breathe my spirit into the nation of Israel and I'm going to bring them back to life again and then they will know that I am God. And it's around that same time, listen, I'm just trying to help you with the prophetic calendar. It's around that same time that Zechariah tells us that God is going to peel the blindness. See, blindness has happened to Israel in part. God is going to peel the blinders from their eyes and they're going to see. God's going to breathe life into them and they will see the Messiah. And all of a sudden it's going to occur to them and they're going to look at him and they're going to say, where did you get those wounds? Talking about the wounds in his hand. Where did you get those wounds? And he's going to say, I received these wounds in the house of my friends. Their eyes are going to be open and they're going to know that he is God. Ezekiel 37 is a prophecy that God is going to raise them up on the last days and they are going to repopulate life from the dead. Now, listen to me quickly. My next comments, I want to say are my strong opinion. And if you disagree, are you listening? If you disagree, it doesn't make you a heretic. It just means you're wrong. <laughs> but listen to me. I believe, listen, talking about Israel, I believe the Bible teaches 
that there is a literal restoration of the nation of Israel. Not spiritual, literal. I believe that the Messiah will rule and reign geographically from Jerusalem. And I believe in a literal 1,000 year or millennial reign of Jesus Christ on the earth. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? I believe it. And this whole subject, listen to me, of the millennium. Now, I'm going to try to help you very quickly, all right? I realize it's hot. Thank you for your patience. This whole subject of the millennial reign of Jesus is a theological battleground. It's a theological hotbed, but it is important, listen, because if you don't understand this whole thousand-year reign of Christ, it will, first of all, affect what you understand about the restoration of the nation of Israel. It will also affect how you interpret the Bible completely. We must, you know, we talk about the thousand-year reign, but nobody really knows what it means. We have to understand what this means. It's very important. So when we use the word millennial, what we are talking about is a thousand years, a millennium or millennial. The Bible teaches literally or teaches that Jesus Christ will return in the second coming and he's going to rule and reign on the earth for 1,000 years. Revelation chapter 20, verse 1 and 2. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain was in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him for how long, saints? A thousand years. Listen, in the church, if you're taking notes, you begin to jot right here. The church has three major views concerning the millennium. You have amillennium, you have postmillennial, and you have the premillennial view. The early church fathers, are you listening? Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, and others interpreted Revelation chapter 20 as a literal thousand years. It wasn't until 300 plus years after the church had already been established that this guy by the name of Tychonius began to spiritualize the millennium. And he said the millennium is no millennium. That's where we have the term a millennium. A means without a millennium. And he taught our millennials believe that there is no thousand year reign of Christ, that there is a metaphor, it's a metaphor, which gives way to the post-millennial view, which teaches that the church will get this, Christianize the world. And by the way, as I love him, respect him, I love CBN. Pat Robinson holds this position today, the post-millennial view, which teaches that the church will Christianize the world. And once the church is spread throughout, the gospel is spread throughout the earth, that the world will become one big Christian community. And then Jesus Christ will return and receive the keys to a glorified planet. But he will only come by invitation to the United Federated Planet where people live in peace and goodwill. I call this the Star Trek view of the end times. (laughs) A federation of harmony led by supreme beings. And then you have the premillennial view, 
which means that Jesus Christ will return pre-millennial. Are you listening? That means before the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth, Jesus is going to come. He is going to rapture the church. The tribulation will begin. The second coming, Jesus will reign on the earth, the pre-millennial view. And it's that thousand years, listen, that Jesus is going to rule and reign in righteousness. Now, when the Bible says that Jesus is going to reign for a thousand years, guess what that means? That means that Jesus is going to reign for a thousand years. It doesn't mean he's going to reign for 999 years. It does not mean that he's going to reign for 1,001 years. It says that he's going to reign and rule for a thousand years. The Bible has so much is replete with verses talking about this topic of the millennium. We don't have time. Isaiah chapter 2, Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah 65 tell us that Ezekiel chapter 17 tells us that if somebody dies at a hundred years old during the thousand year reign, they have died an early death like a baby. A thousand year reign of Christ. Now within, listen, within, I know this is a lot because it's warm, but listen, within the premillennial camp, there are three more camps. We have the pre-tribulationist view, which means that church is going to be raptured pre-tribulation. You have the mid-tribulation view, which means the church is going to be raptured, people believe, at the three-and-a-half-year mark of the seven years of tribulation. And you have the post-tribulation view, which teaches that the church is going to be raptured after the tribulation, post-tribulation. And then you have the pan-tribulationist view, which they believe that it'll all pan out in the end, so don't even worry about it. (laughs) All of these are within the premillennials' viewpoint. In other words, Jesus will come back sometime and set up his kingdom. Saints, listen, I believe, again, I believe that it is important to take a premillennial view and understanding. Premillennial, and here's why quickly. Because first of all, it fits into the chronology of the book of Revelation. Remember chapter 2 and 3? We have the church age. And then in chapter 4, Lord, help me remember this right. And then in chapter 4... We have John saying, come up here. We have a picture of the harpazo, the rapture of the church. That means violently snatched away, by the way, not just kind of lifted up and blast off, but violently snatched out of the world, the Christian will be. Say amen. amen. And then in chapter five, we have Jesus who takes the title deed to the planet Earth and he's now in charge, which brings us to chapter six and seven. The church in chapter five is in heaven. Meanwhile, back on the ranch, chapter 6 through 19, we have the tribulation. The Bible calls it a time of Jacob's trouble, such time as the world has never seen nor shall ever see again. Chapter 6 through 19. Chapter 20, we have the thousand-year reign of Christ. Chapter 21, John sees a new heaven and a new earth. I believe that it is important to take the premillennial view because as you look at the book of Revelation, it fits clearly, easily into the chronology. Secondly, another reason why I think premillennial view is important, because this is the position of the early church. Not only is it the position of the early church, but it's also the position of the early church fathers. And then finally, I believe it's important because I believe in a literal 1,000 years reigning of Christ on the earth. You see, we have to take the Bible literally. 
where we can read the Bible, we should take it literally and interpret it no other way than in its literal context, except unless it is clear in the text not to do so. So I believe in this literal 1,000 years because there's no other way to really interpret the Bible in that text. Now, you want to notice, have you ever thought about this? In the book of Revelation, listen, there are a lot of numbers. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, seven churches, seven years of tribulation, 144,000 Jewish believers, 12,000 from each tribe, seven heads, 10 horns, 12 tribes, 12 apostles, a third of mankind, two witnesses, 42 months, 1,260 days, three kings. There's a lot of numbers. What do you do with all of these numbers? Listen, you have to take them literal because if 12, are you listening? If 12 doesn't mean 12 and 2 doesn't mean 2 and 144,000 doesn't mean 144,000, then what do they mean? And who determines then what do they mean? And then you will be forced to conclude that God spent the whole book of Revelation telling us what's not going to happen. Y'all understand that? We take the scriptures literally. If you take it at face value, this thousand year reign, you take it at face value. You believe in a literal nation of Israel. You believe in a literal Jesus who is literally going to come back someday and is literally going to judge the earth and is literally going to rule and reign for literally forever. Somebody say amen. Amen. He's going to reign forever. And you take it at face value. God has a lot to say and a lot of important things to accomplish during the thousand year reign. So we've been through, listen, coming in for a landing. We've been through a lot in Romans chapter 11. And we've learned a lot. We've gathered a lot of information as to God and what he plans for Israel and what his plan is for you. But the Bible tells us, listen, because we know a lot now, because we've grown a lot, don't get haughty. Did you read that in verse 20? Don't get haughty, but fear. Listen, there is a lot of haughty theology in the church today. You know, the whole prosperity teaching, that's haughty theology. You know, that teaches that, you know, God wants everybody healthy, wealthy, and wise, and have big house and big car, and if you don't have that, then you must be a sinner. (laughs) If you don't have those things, you must not be as holy or as righteous. Listen, the prosperity, don't misunderstand me, I need to preface this. God will take care and bless his people. But we are in no position to tell God how to do that. God is not a genie in the bottle waiting for you to rub it. So he can pop out and with a towel over his arm saying, at your service, sir. God is God. And we should never tell him what to do. The whole prosperity message at its core is a haughty theology. And the reason why I say it's a haughty theology, because listen, you cannot take the prosperity message to India and preach that message. This half of the room say amen. There you go. You cannot, pre- you can't, how are you going to go to India and tell them about prosperity? They're poor. How are you going to tell them God wants you to have a million dollar car? Man, they're trying to get in a rickshaw. And most of them are walking. 
And any gospel message, listen, that you cannot preach in Apex and Africa. Any gospel message that you cannot preach in Indianapolis and India, if it doesn't work in both those locations, it's a haughty theology and it's not of God. Amen. That's true. Because, listen, I know, listen, the gospel message is for everybody. Jesus died for the whole world. Let me tell you, you can go to India or any other country and you tell them that Jesus died for you. The blood of Jesus was shed for you. And if you come to him by grace through faith, you can be saved. Don't you realize that gospel message works anywhere? But when you start going to these different countries, that's why you don't see some of these folks. Go into places like that, preaching a message like that, because it doesn't work. And if it doesn't work there, it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a haughty theology. And don't be found guilty of, well, now, you know, we know about the Jews and uh, they all crucified Jesus and God took away the blessings from them and he's given them to the church and blah, 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 blah. Don't get like that. Don't be haughty. God says, don't be haughty, but fear. That word fear doesn't mean like, oh, I'm scared of God. It means reverence. Be respectful of what God has done. Because remember, we'll talk about it next week. Remember, you were grafted in. Don't get haughty and don't think you're all that in a bag of chips. Because we're not. We're all saved by grace through faith. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the media library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light. Let me be a salt.